Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. If you want to get to know someone these days, there are many ways of doing so. Uh, And I'm not just talking about the classic, you know, take someone out for a coffee and just, you know, small talk over a latte for a couple of hours. Uh, I'm talking like, you know, like personality style tests and quizzes. Uh, You might ask somebody uh, what their Myers-Briggs type is, if you know that one. Uh, You could ask them what their Enneagram number is, maybe. that one, uh, or you might just ask them if they're an introvert or an extrovert. There's all sorts of different things uh, we can do to figure out who someone is. Uh, well, I'm here this evening, everybody, to tell you that those quizzes are useless. Uh, me, Alyssa Carey, I have cracked the code of human psychology. Um, if you want to find out what kind of a person someone is, uh, there, there is just there's one question that you ask them. You have to give them a little bit of backstory first. So you know, you might want to, you know you want to take someone to a coffee shop, sit them down, buy them a coffee, Uh, and then you look them in the eye and you say to them, so-and-so, imagine that we are in a zombie apocalypse. The world as we know it has ended, half-dead, flesh-eating creatures are roaming the earth, Um, and these are the kind of zombies that if they bite you, uh, you become infected. Uh, The infection takes a little bit of time, but you know, you you eventually will turn into one. Uh, If if you and me were traveling with a group of people, uh, and you had been bitten by a zombie, but no one else in the group knew, would you tell the rest of the group about your zombie bite, or would you keep it a secret until you couldn't? Uh, that, I think, is the key to finding out somebody. If you hear that question and you think to yourself, I, I wouldn't show anyone my zombie bite, I would keep it hidden, uh, then, friends, there's prayer ministry available for you at the back of the church at the end. Um, I don't trust people who... Oh, a little bit higher. Oh, there we go. I don't trust people who say that in a zombie apocalypse they would keep their bite hidden, um, just because it causes more problems than it solves in the long term. Um, you know, it, eventually everyone's going to find out, and it's going to be a disaster when they do. Um, and also, let's be real, it's just plain lying to everyone, isn't it? Uh, you're walking around as if everything is fine, as if everything is going well, but actually you're on death's door. You're a ticking time bomb. It's not a great feeling, is it, when somebody turns out to be something or someone that we didn't realize that they were. When their true selves eventually are revealed and this image that we have of them disappears in a heartbeat. If you think about it, I think one of the most significant things, one of the most significant insults you can hurl at someone is calling them a hypocrite. I think it's really, really hard to shake off because it's ultimately an exposure of truth of showing someone for who they really are, to suggest they they lack integrity, to suggest they're dishonest. But sometimes it's helpful when that happens because it exposes the truth. It shows us who we really are. And Paul is in that business this evening, in case you haven't realized. This evening, he's calling out the Jewish Christians in the Roman community for their hypocrisy and calling them to lives of integrity and obedience. These are people who know a lot about God. Uh, They are teaching other people in his ways, but ultimately they're not practicing what they preach because our knowledge of God is meaningless without our obedience to him. If we claim that we know God and we know his word, but we don't actively obey what it is he calls us to, then Paul is saying here this evening that there's pretty much no point. 
that you are a hypocrite if you follow that way. And so we're going to walk through the passage together. We're going to do a bit of theology. We're going to do a bit of Bible study together. And we're going to figure out what it is that God is saying to us this evening. But I think ultimately the Jewish community that Paul is writing to this evening have two main issues. They have a revelation of God. They know who he is, but they, have, they lack uh, humility and they lack integrity. So the first thing we're going to think about is the fact, if you look at verses 17 to 20 for me, uh, that the Jewish Christians have revelation without humility. It's really important at the start of our passage this evening that we realize a really key and important fact that sets the scene for us. And that is that this passage is not technically for us. Um, Paul is speaking directly to the Jewish Christians who are part of the church in Rome. Uh, For those of you who have been here for the past few weeks as as we've kind of started a journey along this, uh, you'll remember that one of the significant issues that the church in Rome is facing is that Jews and Christians, all Jewish people, uh, and uh, kind of new Christians are together in the church for the first time. Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, are worshipping together. They're following Jesus together. And that gets messy. They're trying to figure all of it out. What does it look like for us to worship together? They have all these big questions. And in literally the first few words of of our passage this evening, Paul makes it clear to us who he is writing to, that this part of the letter is specifically for the Jewish members of the community. He writes, now you, if you call yourself a Jew. That's the first few words of our passage. He then goes on to list some things that they would have known about themselves and they would have known about God. Um, We're going to do a little bit of theology now, everyone. Are you ready? Okay, only Chris is excited about that, and that's a problem. Uh, Who's who's ready to do some theology? Are we ready? Okay, like three more people. That's great. Um, Now, the Jewish Christians, the Jewish believers, essentially believed that they had the monopoly on God. Uh, They were the ones throughout the history of the Bible that God had revealed himself to, his chosen people. Uh, And Revelation is one of the key themes that we see as we journey throughout the entirety of the Bible. I'm not just talking about the last book of the Bible. I'm talking about the whole thing. It's God showing his people who he is. Uh, sometimes we see very specific, specific revelations of, of God to his people. Uh, so God might reveal himself to one person at a specific point of time. Uh, but we also see moments where God reveals himself fully to a whole group of people. Um, and the primary way this was done in the Old Testament is through the giving of the law. Uh, the law was how God showed his people who he was, how holy he was, and how they were to live lives that glorify and honor him in the way that they live. And this is why both last week and this week, there is so much emphasis on the law. Um, It's so important to Jewish people even today. Many Jews will give their entire life to studying the law just to make sense of it. They believe that it is the way that we know God and we live the life he has designed for us. But now we have a new revelation. God has revealed himself to us fully once and through all through the person of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the image of the invisible God. In him, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, to quote Paul from other parts of his letters. We stand on this side of revelation. We have the full and final revelation of God through Jesus and the fullness of his word in both the Old and the New Testaments. But we need to remember that the church that Paul is writing to this evening, 
They don't have the New Testament as we have it. They wouldn't even have had the Gospels written down at this time. They would have told stories to one another about Jesus, about his life and his teachings. They don't have access to Paul's theology in the same way that we do now. Yeah, they would have had the letter to Rome, that's what we're doing, but they wouldn't have had Galatians and Ephesians and, and all the other things that we have. And so the Gentiles, the non-Jewish members of the church, just wouldn't have had the same knowledge of God as the Jewish Christians would have had. And so the Jewish Christians take it upon themselves to become the Gentiles' teachers. To use the words from the passage, if you look down at it for me, they, Paul says that they are convinced that they are a guide for the blind, a light for those in dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. I don't know about you, but when I read these words, I can kind of like sense Paul's sarcasm in this passage. You know that he's very harshly about to bring them right back down to earth in a couple of sentences afterwards, as if he's going, oh, look at you and the wonderful things you call yourselves. Aren't you brilliant? Aren't you fantastic? And you can sense what is about to come. David spoke last week, if you were here, about the entitlement of these Jewish Christians, uh, the fact that they had kind of, they had become so confident in their knowledge of God and that they had kind of become entitled. They expected special treatment. And we, as the Jewish Christians, have every reason to be confident of our knowledge of God because we have Jesus, we have that revelation. Some of us might have been following Jesus for years and years and years and years and years, not looking at anyone in particular, don't worry. Um, and other of us will still be baby Christians. We might not know as much as some other people, but regardless of where we're at on our faith journey, we all have that revelation. We all can see God through Jesus. But that comes with a temptation on the Christian walk. And I think two of the biggest temptations we face are that of pride and power. Because as the saying goes, knowledge is power. And we know the all-powerful, all-loving God, the greatest being in the entirety of the cosmos. And what we do with that knowledge matters. It can go straight to our heads. It can puff us up, make us think that it came from us. And so we are the greatest people and we exert authority on other people, however we see fit. Notice in Paul's descriptions, all of them have a power imbalance. If you can see and you are guiding someone who is blind, you have the power and the control in that situation. If you are an adult and you are teaching a little child, you have the power and the control in that situation. But the fact is that any power, any authority we hold is not our own. It is all a gift given to us by God and we are to honor him in the way that we hold it. And that is by following the example of Jesus. Jesus had every reason to cling to his power, every reason for his power to go straight to his head, to act as the most entitled person to walk this earth. But Paul puts it beautifully in Philippians 2, that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And notice how that bit of the passage starts, that within your relationships with one another, we are to model Jesus. Jesus chose to use his power to lower himself, not to raise himself up. Jesus knew fully who he was. He knew fully who God was. He knew everything there is to know. And he chose to use his power to serve. 
Now, we are not Jesus. We might think that we don't hold power or authority. We don't think that we do. But there will be seeds of power and pride in us that we've, we've got to be careful with. You might think you're immune to this, but we will all have this struggle. It might be that actively you look down on other members of our congregation. There are certain members of our congregation that you think, I would never sit or, or talk to to them because you've put yourself in power over them without realizing. You might hold a leadership position. You might be a small group leader or something and think you're God's gift to leadership and use your power in that way. Or you might even resent people you see in leadership because you're convinced that you could do a better job. My friends, there are no titles. There are no positions greater than that of Jesus himself. And he chose to deny all of that for for our sake. Sorry. Our main attitude as we walk through this life should be one of humility, knowing that we live and we serve for the greatest being in all of creation. And in comparison to him, we are but dust. But he loves us. He calls us his own and gives us his power by his spirit to live and work for his glory. And But there's another layer to this whole pride and power issue, and that is what we see in the next couple of verses, in verses 21 to 25. And that is that the Jewish Christians have the revelation of the law, but they lack integrity. Paul calls them out for not practicing what they preach, for not teaching themselves. The Jewish Christians knew the law, and that was causing them to be puffed up, to be prideful, to think of themselves as better than those Gentile Christians who knew nothing which is causing them to sin, to think that they're above the law, that they're not sinful, which they're not. Paul uses some pretty intense examples here. Uh, He accuses those of writing, if you haven't looked down at me with me, he accuses them of stealing, adultery, and idolatry. Three quite intense things. Um, Now, he's not saying here that the entirety of the Church of Rome is guilty of all of those things. Uh, If there were, something has gone horrifically wrong, and I think Paul probably would have gone in person just to tell them off. Um, He's basically here just taking three of the worst sins you can find in the Jewish faith and saying to them, you think that you're better than the people that you're teaching? You're not. You are just as sinful. You are just as messed up. Look at verse 23 for me if you've still got the passage in front of you, if you haven't opened it up. He says it plainly. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? There are many names that we can get called that will affect us or hurt us. And as I've already said this evening, I think one of the most significant things we can get called is a hypocrite. Because it's something that sticks. Because it's an exposure of truth. You say one thing, you act another way. You live, say you live one way, but your actions are different. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm really sorry to do this, but I, I'd like you all just to, for a moment to cast your mind back to 2020, to the dark lockdown days of COVID. I know it's painful. I know it was a hard time for all of us. Um, You know, for those of us who were in the UK at the time, you'll remember the rules that we were supposed to follow. Don't leave your house, don't mix households, six feet. What was it, hands, face, space? That was it. Well, gosh, I can't believe I still remember that. Um, But some of us will remember in late March 2020, the news broke uh, that one of the members of the government, uh, Dominic Cummings, a member of parliament, drove 264 miles from London to Durham, all when we were barely allowed to leave our houses. 
Um, at that time, I used to live uh, near the university campus. Do you remember they were actually, we only had we were allowed to do one walk a day? Do you remember those days? Painful. Um, but I remember when the news broke, uh, so there was a road that connects like the university to the hospital. And um, I was walking down that road on, on my daily walk. Uh, so with the hospital as the backdrop, obviously, you know, the backdrop of COVID. And there's a massive house on the corner of the street. And on the street, they had painted this big sign with Dominic Cummings' face on it. And in red paint, they had written on it, one rule for them, one rule for us. I wish I'd taken a photo of it. Unfortunately, I hadn't. But Dominic Cummings essentially became public enemy number one overnight. He was part of the team that had set out and decided the COVID rules in the first place and then broke them in an incredibly dramatic fashion. You could, he'd been exposed for what he truly was in that moment, for what he truly believed. And it wasn't what he had claimed it was. And for those of you that remember it, you might be able to remember like the national outrage about it. The verdict had been passed because there was no commitment to what he had set. There was a gap. And in the same way, Paul knows that this is a problem. He has to address the hypocrisy of the Jewish Christians. Because as they knew everything apparently that there was to know about God, they knew it all, their heads were puffed up, but they weren't living it out. They weren't living the lives that their knowledge called them to live. Because ultimately their knowledge of God was meaningless without their obedience to him. Look at verse 23 for me. They are actively boasting in the law. They are boasting in the knowledge and in the power and authority that they have but they are actively dishonoring God with their lack of obedience to what it was they were teaching. The law was then for them to know God and to know how to live, but they, well, that's not what they were doing. And even before this, Jesus knew that this was a problem as well. If you put your finger in your Bible and you look at Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 23, it's an entire chapter of the Gospels where Jesus is just calling out the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. There's this, there, there's this bit here up on the screen, but it says, they, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They place excessive burdens of obedience on others, but they aren't willing to carry them themselves. The temptation when we read passages like Matthew 23 or this one this evening is to think that because they're not addressed to us, that they are not relevant to us. You know, we, we don't follow the law. We're not Jewish. Some of us might not view ourselves as, as leaders, so you could kick back and put your feet up. My friends, we're just as guilty of hypocrisy. In 2022, a piece of research was done uh, called the Talking Jesus Report. And it, they surveyed people from across the country, different religious backgrounds all, all around the country. Uh, and they asked the people, they asked the people they were surveying how they would describe the Christian church. 26% of people, that's over a quarter, said two things, narrow-minded and hypocritical. We know God. We know him in all his fullness because we know Jesus. We know his teaching, some of us in more depth than others. But we as the church, like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, we have a reputation for not practicing what we preach. Look at verse 24. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
when others from outside of the church look in on us and they see us not walking in obedience to Jesus, I think it causes two problems. Number one, people think we're hypocrites. But number two, we lead other people into disobedience to God. We offer them a fake faith, essentially, one that is full of thought and no action. And the reason Paul says this is, is blasphemy is one of, if not the most significant sin in Judaism, to speak against God, to curse his name. And the Jewish Gentiles were actively, the Jewish Christians, sorry, were actively leading these Gentiles into this massive sin instead of obedience because their knowledge of God was meaningless without their obedience to him. Guys, we are being watched. The world is watching us to see who Jesus is. And so I wonder when the world looks at you as a member of the body, a member of the church, what do you think they see? Do they see someone who claims to know Jesus with their heads, but the way that they live their lives is a very different story? Do they see someone who is so in love with Jesus that longs to be obedient to him? Or do they see someone who actually thinks they don't care about Jesus that much? Do people see a connection with your life and Jesus' teachings? Or do they see a disconnect? My brothers and sisters, you can have all the theological knowledge you can gather. You can know the Bible back to front. You can beat any atheist in a debate. But if you are not walking in obedience to what you know, then there is no point in any of it. Yes, we do need the head knowledge in the first place. And for some of us, we will still be in that stage. We're still learning what the Bible teaches, and that's okay. And if you need help with that, do chat to someone. We'd love to help. But regardless of where you're at any this evening, I wonder where it is that God is calling you to greater integrity and obedience in the way that you live your life. Maybe in the way that you treat and you view money. Has it become an idol in your life? Because Jesus says you can't serve both of them. For those of us who drink here, it might be your relationship to alcohol. The fact is the Bible has something to say about our drinking habits. Or maybe it's your speech, the language that you use. Paul writes elsewhere in his letters that no unwholesome talk should come out of our mouths. So what kind of language are you using in your day-to-day life? My friends, God wants all of you. He wants your heads and your hearts. He wants you to walk in his ways, not because he is a tyrannical dictator who demands that we follow him with no other option, but it's because he is love, because he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he knows how we should live, he knows how life in its fullness is meant to be. And he calls us into it. And if you're not sure if obedience is worth it or how you do it in the first place, my friends, again, it's the Sunday school answer, but look at Jesus, the perfect one who walked in full and complete obedience to God until it led him even to death, death on a cross. But his obedience led to the greatest victory this world has and will ever see. Victory over death itself. Victory over our sin and our disobedience and our mess. Because in laying down our preferences and our sin to God, that's where we find life. That's where we find victory. 
And the beautiful thing is, is that God gives us his spirit in order to walk that walk. 